How many of you guys know a kid that uh, whenever it's time to open presents, that child, uh, you just cannot wait to watch them open presents because they have so much zeal? How many of you have a kid in your life like that? You need to find one if you don't, okay? Uh, I have a one-year-old son named Bennett, and uh, so this is really the first Christmas that he's been old enough to to recognize anything, and so the new thing that he does is every time he sees Christmas lights or he sees a big tree or something like that, he goes, wow, wow, it's the cutest thing. I, I have a three-year-old nephew, Braden, and he every time he opens a gift, I just cannot wait to watch the zeal on his face. He has a birthday on December the 5th, and so we had his party uh, a few days ago, and my parents gave him a Dallas Cowboy football helmet and, and jersey, and, and he was just so excited about it. Now, I know some of you out there think that my parents giving, giving my nephew a, a Cowboys jersey like warps him for life. Is there anybody that's kind of in that, that mindset? Yeah, but last time I checked, we're champions now, okay? So, <laughs> so um, hey, I had to throw that in for the Cowboy fans, but... Uh, so anyway, his zeal was so great about this cowboy helmet that he slept in it. I mean, he wouldn't take it off to sleep. He even kept it on for his bath. I mean, that, that, that is zeal when it comes to gift giving. Well, as I was preparing Christmas sermons this year, there was a verse that jumped out to me that I'd never really taken note of before. It's in the Isaiah passage in Isaiah chapter 9, and you're probably familiar with the first part of the section where it says, for a child will be born for us. And then Isaiah goes on to say, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end, and he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And this was the part that I had never really caught before, and this year it just stood out to me. The passage ends with these words, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, I never really have thought of God in terms of him being zealous or enthusiastic. Uh, Whenever I I think of God, I think of his holiness. And I think of the fact that he's pure, that he's almighty, that he's in control, he is sovereign. I think in terms of God being above all and transcendent. I also think of God in terms of him being loving. And that familiar verse jumps out whenever I think of his love, that God so loved the world that he sent his son so that whoever believes in him does not perish but have everlasting life. But I never really attach that word zealous with with God that often. I mean, normally whenever I think of zealous, I I think of like uh, Chad throwing donuts on the floor whenever we're doing the the ugly sweater contest, you know, fans at a football game, something like that. I I don't really think of God in that way, yet the scriptures say the zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will accomplish this, and it's a reference to the birth of the child of peace that would ultimately be uh, Jesus Christ. And so there were two questions that I began to wrestle with. The first is this, what is God being zealous all about? And then secondly, what did he accomplish? Because it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so I began looking at this idea of the zeal of the Lord of hosts, and it occurs three times in the Old Testament. It can refer to God's jealousy. As you dig a little bit deeper, uh, it conveys this idea, a fatherly concern for the well-being of his children. Now, whenever I came across that definition, I began to connect with it because I, I get that. A fatherly concern for the well-being of his children. Earlier this year, back on Mother's Day, we had a huge event in my household. My oldest daughter, Karis, was baptized on Mother's Day. It was a huge day in our household, something that we prayed for in her life from the time that she was a little baby. Well, she had been on an antibiotic leading up to the baptism, and on the day of her baptism, she started having an allergic reaction. And so she started getting little splotches on her face. In the morning, it wasn't that big of a deal, and so she went ahead and came to church, and we were just keeping an eye on it, put a little Benadryl on it. Um, By the time the baptism came, she was starting to get a little bit worse, and she was having a little bit of a hard time getting up the the stairs. In fact, she was walking like this by then, but but she's like, I want to be baptized today. Today's the day that I'm going to be baptized. And I'm like, okay, kid, you can play hurt. So we uh, we baptized her, and, and it was a cool day, but then as as the service went on and then as we had a family meal later on, the, the allergic reaction kept getting worse until eventually it was like, okay, this is serious. This, this is something that we have to get attention for her and we've got to get attention to her very quickly. And as a father at that time, nothing else mattered. I took her to the emergency room. We got her cared for. We made sure that she wasn't going into anaphylactic shock or anything like that. We got her what she needed. Uh, We we stayed up with her that night because we had to watch her throughout the entire evening, and we we had to get her to a pediatrician uh, first thing in the morning, and there was nothing that that was going to stand in my way from making sure that she was being cared for. In fact, as a father, I would have gladly have taken uh, the pain and, and the reaction onto myself rather than seeing my child go through that. And so it began to connect with me the, the zealous nature of our God that is willing to send his son so that he might redeem us and bring us back into relationship with himself. And our heavenly father saw the pain and suffering of his children. He he saw their desperate need of grace because we live in this world that in so many ways is is broken. And in his realization that there is nothing that that his children can do to redeem themselves in his zeal, through his love, he sends his son to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. The zeal of God will accomplish this. And so that was my second question. What exactly did did Jesus accomplish? 
Well, a few weeks ago, I was preaching from Luke chapter 2, and Luke chapter 2 is the kind of the historical account of the Christmas story. As you're getting ready to open presents sometime throughout the course of the next couple of days, I encourage you as a family to read Luke chapter 2 and read the Christmas story together. In verse 8, you have the story of the shepherds. And it says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And then notice verse 11, because this was the other verse that really stood out to me this Christmas season. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And then they tell the shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby snugly, wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. And so there's, there's three things right there in the beginning of verse 11 that stand out to me. A Savior who is Messiah the Lord. And I'm going to kind of work from the back to the front. The first thing that stood out to me here is that what the Lord accomplished in his zeal is that the Lord was born, that God became man. We call that theologically the incarnation. Now, understand that Jesus is the God-man, not the man-God, because in our Christian understanding, man does not become God, but God became man. And as a man, Jesus lived among sin, yet retained his purity. He himself, as 1 John taught us, did not sin. Not only did Jesus live among sin and live in flesh, but he faced the wages of sin. He, he faced death and he was publicly killed. There was no doubt about the fact that Jesus died, but then death could not contain him. He rose again. And so whenever Luke says he is the Lord, we see that he, he is connected to the power of God. And John reminds us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. That the Lord became man. But secondly, the passage reminds us that Jesus was the Messiah. That he accomplished the, the plan of God. If, if you read the Scriptures, one of the things that is absolutely remarkable about the Bible is there is this continuity of thought that spans multiple authors and multiple centuries where you see the plan of God unfolded. And all through the Old Testament, they, they foreshadowed, they prophesied about the birth of Christ. The passage that we read earlier in Isaiah occurred over 600 years before the birth of Christ. And so uh, you see God's plan uh, unfolding, and there was the anointed one. That word anointed one is sometimes translated Messiah, and sometimes it's translated Christ. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're talking about Jesus, the anointed one. And what the scriptures are doing is it's connecting you back to the plan of God that Jesus is 
the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one that all scripture is ultimately pointing to him and the work of God is all leading to him. So what, what this means to me is that Jesus uh, accomplished God's plan. That Jesus was not an afterthought, but, but he was God's way. Now, one of the initial steps of being a Christian is that we quit trying to do everything our way. We understand that doing things my way, I, I have sinned, I have fallen short. And so we repent of our way, we repent of our sin, and we place our faith not in our way, but in God's way, and ultimately Jesus being the, the, the amplification of, of what it means to follow God. He's, he's the Messiah. So we place our faith in Jesus because he is the Messiah. Now, a lot of us have ideas about how God should do things. Well, if I were God, I would do this. Well, first of all, thank God you're not God, okay? But if I were God, I would do it this way. But Jesus is God's plan. He, he's the Messiah. And then the third thing here that really stood out to me about what God accomplished is that Jesus is the Savior. You see, Jesus is more than an example. He's more than a teacher. He's our Savior. What does he save us from? Well, he saves us from our sins. He saves us from isolation. He saves us from death. He saves us from God's wrath. He's our Savior. How is he our Savior? Well, on the cross, the innocent one, the pure one, died as an atonement for your sin and mine. He died not just as a man who followed his beliefs to the end. He died as a Savior. And the Scriptures call us to believe in him, to place our faith in him. And those that believe in him have the right to be called children of God. Well, at the same time as I was reading and preparing for Christmas sermons and those two passages stood out to me, there was also a video that stood out to me. I, you know how on like Facebook or Twitter you'll, you'll see these different videos pop up that people are sharing? And so there was this video about these Asian Christians who were receiving Bibles for the first time. It's a little bit raw, but I wanted to show it to you right here. Just, just watch this. I saw that video, and it just reached out and grabbed me because here's these people uh, that have never had something as simple as the Word of God in their hand. And probably there was a church like this one that worked together to, to get those Bibles and send them to them, and whenever they received them, did you see their zeal? I mean, they, 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 they grabbed it and they opened, they were kissing it. They're, this is what we've always needed. And it, it reminded me as a believer in Christ with all the different activities of Christmas and, and the presents and the lights and the fun and the family and all this stuff that a lot of people think this is all that Christmas is. It reminded me that there's so much more. That we have a Savior. We have a Lord. We have a Messiah that God became man. And as a Christian, I want to connect with the zeal that those believers in Asia had whenever they received the Bible. 
And some of you are believers. Some of you may not be. And if you're not a believer, I I want you to know this. The Heavenly Father has a zealous love for you. And the lights and the sounds and the joy and the family and all the activity of Christmas should remind us that God's love for us is extravagant, that in His love for us, He sent His Son. And today I invite you to surrender to that calling that you're feeling in your heart, that calling of God, and embrace Jesus as your Lord. Surrender not to your own way, but surrender to God's plan. And this Christmas, trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I would invite you to do that. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads for a moment? There's never been a time in your life whenever you've believed in Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you right now to call out to God. Just admit to God that you're a sinner. Admit to Him that you are in need of Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Him. You might say something like, Lord, I'm a sinner I ask for your forgiveness, and right now on Christmas Eve 2014, here in this service, I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, and I pray for your guidance and your wisdom to help me to live for Him. Make this your moment where you embrace the zeal of God that loves you so much that He sent His Son. If this is your moment, I want to know about it. I would invite you at some point to come and uh, tell me, Lash, today I I became a believer. If you can't find me for whatever reason, there's somebody in your family, somebody in your life that you know that is a dedicated follower of Christ. Tell them that you made this decision so that we can celebrate with you and encourage you in the decision to follow Christ. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we pray that our hearts might discover the zeal of what it means to be a believer in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to invite the Okestrom family, and I believe Oscar, your family as well, uh, to come at this time. And here's what we're going to do as we... uh, as we kind of close out our service today. Uh, We're going to remember that Jesus is the reason for Christmas. And we're going to remember that by taking the Lord's Supper. And so here at this station, over here at that station, and then here at the front, there are the elements of the Lord's Supper. And our deacons will be there. And we would invite you in just a few moments, whenever the time is right, and you'll know when that is, to go to one of those stations and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper and then go back to your seat, have a time of prayer, and then to take. Remembering that as you take the bread, it represents the body of Christ. It represents the God-man. It represents Jesus. It also represents the cross and how he died for us. And then as you take the juice, you're Remembering how through his blood there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is relationship with him. And so we invite you to do that as an individual or a family. Now, I do want to say this little 
add-on here that the Lord's Supper is an ancient ceremony and it's a, it's a Christian ceremony. It's something that Jesus set forth for his children. And so if you're not a believer yet, we would ask that you not participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, uh, we don't want to embarrass you in any way. Just it, it's, it's for believers. And a second note, if you're not a believer yet, while others are going and taking of the Lord's Supper, I would invite you to come and see me. I'll be here at the front. And I would invite you to believe today and to become a believer today in Jesus Christ. But here's what we're going to do. These families are going to pray. They're going to pray a prayer thanking God for the past, the present, and then the future. And after they pray, we'll invite you to go and receive the Lord's Supper, go back, take it, and then we're going to have a special time of singing of Christmas carols and lighting of candles as we close out our time together. So would you guys pray, and then after they finish praying, we'll partake in the Lord's Supper.